Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... This episode of the Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by 12 by 12. Picture book authors need to be fairly prolific to be published. That's why members of 12 by 12 aim to write one picture book draft a month. Through an online forum, monthly webinars, a private Facebook group, and more, members enjoy the accountability, support, and motivation of a fantastic community of authors and illustrators. Registration is only open in January and February, so visit 12by12challenge.com slash membership for more information. That's the number 12x number 12 challenge.com slash membership for more information. I do think that you write what you want to write, and that's, um, and you do trust that it will find a place. If you write what you want to read, too, I think. Yeah, and then you also write what you want to mess around with. I've been messing around with this book for 10 years, so you write what right. you're going to care about for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 652. I'm your host, Matthew Winner, and I am glad you're here. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner, or on PayPal at Children's BK Pod if you want to support the show. Today, I'm joined by Susan Cussell and Sean Rubin. Susan and Sean share The Passover Guest, a new picture book that takes place in Depression-era D.C. and follows a young girl named Muriel, home from the Tidal Basin to her parents' empty tableside on the evening of Passover. On her way home, Muriel meets a strange magician who encourages her to hurry home. What miracle awaits for her and her family causes Muriel to run out and seek the rabbi in order to ask if they could proceed with the astonishing meal. This book is beautifully illustrated and a reminder that Passover is for everyone. Please welcome my guests, Susan Cussell and Sean Rubin, author and illustrator of The Passover Guest. Hi, I'm Susan Cousell. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I am a synagogue librarian, a bookstore buyer, and an author as of this book. My name is Sean Rubin. My pronouns are he, him, his. And I'm a author and illustrator of children's books, comic books, and graphic novels. Welcome, Susan. Welcome, Sean. I'm glad to have you on the podcast. (laughs) I mean, I'm most grateful that we've recorded an entire podcast prior to recording this podcast, or maybe we could argue that we've recorded two podcasts. I feel like we um, just did one. That we just did one. And, you know, thanks to to technology failing, we had a lovely uh, pre-conversation a couple days ago. um, And I'm really grateful to be able to sit down and talk to you again. Uh, this time on record <laughs> for people to hear about the Passover guest. Thanks for thanks for your willingness to come back and chat. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Susan, would you mind introducing the Passover guest to folks listening that haven't met this book yet? Oh, um... 
Come on, librarian. Wow. Time for a book okay. talk. You got I, this. I know. I know. It's, 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 it's hard to... It's hard to do that perfect book talk that I can do for everyone else's books that I can't do for mine. Um, the Passover Guest is uh, based on a Yiddish story by um, very famous Yiddish writer, I.L. Peretz. And it's about a girl who is too poor to have a Passover Seder and she meets a mysterious stranger who may be able to help her. And it's her the story of her trip through... Washington, D.C. during the Great Depression as she heads back to her home and as we find out more about that uh, magician. And along the way, we encounter the most gorgeous illustrations by you, Sean. I, um, leafing through this book again, um, your colors just leapt out at Thank me. You. The, uh, just the, the, the way you capture D.C., the way you capture... Muriel and and how she wants to be able to she wants to be able to save her family in this way she wants to be able to to celebrate and to bring um to bring some sort of sense of normalcy to her family uh this Passover you've done such a beautiful job bringing this story uh to life through the art thank you I um I'm, I'm hopping around a lot, but I, I think I want to go back, Susan, to you and ask first about the inspiration uh, or the adaptation, as it were, uh, that it comes from the magician, Der Kunzenmacher. Um, by Good Brett. Yiddish pronunciation there. Hey, you know, yeah, it's six years of German. Impressive. I do what I do. Um, <laughs> I Tell me about your relation to this story. When did you first hear it? How has it changed? What was it like to adopt this story or even why do it in the first place? Because there was a hole in the market. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That was a perfect answer. Thanks. <laughs> no further explanation needed. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. I couldn't help it. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. I'll, I'll give you a real answer. <laughs> oh, 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 hold on a second. Before you do, I, I'm now like, like really interested in doing like a, like a John Klassen style book, which is called The Hole in the Market. With like two... <laughs> I don't know if it's like two, like you know, like like an author, an illustrator, like an editor, somebody, like an author and an editor, like examining this hole in the market, trying to figure out like how big it is, what could go in it, does this fit in it? No, it doesn't fit in it. Sounds you know? very and, waiting for Godot. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, we'll look forward to your next collaboration after your this. Your next collaboration, the hole in the market. Yeah, yeah. All right, um, you give me a lovely lead, and then I, uh, I. I did a little slapstick there. Okay, sorry. Um, okay, it was something about the inspiration and why it, I do it in the first place, right? Of course. <laughs> yeah. Tell me, tell me, like, uh, okay. walk me back to like you first hearing this this story, the magician. Um, I, I, I imagine it was something you heard at least maybe maybe around childhood. I don't know. Um, it was. Uh, it was one of the books that my mom used to read me when I was a kid. We only had like half a shelf full of books that we kept in the closet. And this was one of them. And the version that we read was by Yuri Shelovitz, who did both the translation from the Yiddish and he did the illustrations. And they're, they're really quite something. And I was lucky enough to see some of the originals of them at the Eric Carr Museum. And I just love this story. I love that um, Elijah actually visited this couple's house because in um, when at your Passover Seder, you open the door for Elijah and there's a cup of wine. Elijah is supposed to drink the cup of wine. And in this book, Elijah came, showed up. And that was so fabulous to me. And many years later, I was in a Jewish library. I found the book again. And I, I mean, I just fell on the floor and just kept reading it over and over and over. And, um, and I loved it but I didn't love everything about it and I wanted to make changes. And um, so I started playing with things. So for example, there's um, in the original parrot story, uh, there is a, a couple who the story is about because the story is written for adults. And as you know, all children's stories need a child. So I added a child um, and then 
I didn't want, I wanted them to be able to talk to Elijah. So I left them in the house, the parents in the house to when the child runs off to uh, talk to the um, rabbi. And I, and I, I want, didn't want the Seder to just be between two people like it is traditionally. I wanted um, the whole town to join in. So there, there were, there were many, many, many changes uh, over time. And I just kept kind of making it my own uh, more and more. And I'm happy with where it is because now it has all these changes I've made, but it also has just that still basic plot that uh, the brilliant plot from uh, parrots. I think that I, I love that this story is a story that takes place in DC. I love that it's a depression era story that we see this, uh, this sort of like thrown together shanty town alongside the tidal basin where these um, beautiful cherry blossoms are in bloom at this time. How, how did we get there? I recall you mentioning about, about Neil Porter, about the editor um, having a hand in this. I can't, I can't recall the full story though. Did, is this what you envisioned when you were, I know you said that you, you were with this, manuscript for some time for for like 10 years right uh yeah so from writing the first manuscript till us talking today has been yeah. about 10 years yeah. um yeah uh, you know i really can't thank neil enough and neil is in every part of this book in mm. every decision and it wouldn't be the book that it is without neil so i i am i'm deeply grateful i'm deeply thankful and um, he is incredibly brilliant guy, uh, truly. And I mean, I always knew that, but then actually working with him has just been this amazing experience. And uh, yeah, so specifically, though, um, I what I did know was that I didn't want it in the shtetl, which is where the original writer actually um, that was where it was set because of the time period it was written and all of that. Um, so. In our first meeting, Neil asked me where and when, and he had suggested the Depression as being that was the reason that they were really poor. And I really wanted Washington, D.C., because I'm from D.C., and D.C. is never shown in um, Jewish children's books. It's often New York or often the shtetl. And so I want, and D.C. has some wonderful landmarks. And these stunning, stunning cherry blossoms and these beautiful white buildings. And I wanted to show all that. So um, so now it's uh, in the Depression um, in Washington, which I think is a really great combination. Sean, at what point did you get involved in this book? Was it was it was the manuscript, I guess, like finished when they were seeking an illustrator when you came on? Oh, manuscripts are never finished. Oh, they're never <laughs> true. True, but it strikes me, I, I, hearing from before we started recording, that connection again that that you're both represented by the same agent. You didn't, you you weren't connected before this sold though, were you? Or or was that sent no. out? No, no, I don't think so. No, it was it was uh, definitely our agent um, Marietta uh, Zacker, uh, who um, I think I had just signed with her somewhere. And I had just signed with I, her as well. Oh, okay. Actually, you know, I don't know that I had signed with her yet. I think um, we were kind of we were kind of in talks. Uh, and um, she sent me this manuscript, uh, basically in response to a uh, a pitch list that um, she'd asked me for, um, that had a number of ideas that I'd been fiddling with for years. Um, one of them is something I probably won't ever write. It's it's but the um, the idea was about a. Uh, a kid um, actually growing up in Brooklyn. It was a Jewish kid in the 1930s. And um, I think she saw that and was like, 1930. I think I probably had like a note about how I like drawing things in the 1930s. Oh. And she sort of was looking at the email, looking at the uh, manuscript and going, hmm. So she uh, she mailed it. She mailed me Susan's manuscript. She's like, hey, take a look at this. Um, I'll be interested to see what your reaction is. And uh, I-, I liked it uh, quite a lot. Um, it was a pretty simple strategy. Uh, figuring out whether or not I want to uh, illustrate a manuscript. You just read it and you kind of keep a, a finger count of uh, how many things you run into on each page that you actually want to draw. Uh, very, uh, very useful uh, to want to draw the things in the book. Um, <laughs> so, uh, 
I, people often chuckle with that, but that's, that's kind of all there is to it um, and on some level. Uh, so um, we, uh, yeah, so I, I read it and I wanted to draw uh, a lot of the things in the book. <laughs> so, so that was kind of, that was kind of that I, I, I asked for it. And um, I think, I think Neil made me audition if I remember okay. correctly. He did actually. Yeah. Cause I, yeah. cause I, I've seen it <laughs> and I love it. it to, 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 totally. It was a totally different style though. Initially, it just was when I started really digging into it. Um, what I, does I that just look realized like, I had a sort of, uh, what, uh, oh, what does what look like? I'm when sorry. you audition, does that mean you have to do like, I don't know, like three samples? Do you do color? Do you do, do you do like what, what potentially could be a, an interior spread in the book? Um, yeah, it was actually, it was the magician spread. Okay. Um, and it didn't look anything like what, wound up in the book at all um, the candle and egg one it it's yeah. been on my refrigerator for the past two years so i could probably describe oh, it pretty cool. accurately <laughs> you have this sketch <laughs> um neil let me have it yeah oh that's so rad that's my favorite but, interior but i it's your favorite what i said that's my favorite interior of the of the whole thing for reasons we'll get very, to it looks very different but you can see the i've come you can see the gent genesis yeah, of the idea the and of it. sure what what's funny is that um or not funny but i neil handed me the sketch and i mean i have this like knife sharp memory of sitting in in his office and he handed me the sketch back when we sat in offices and saw each other in person and i took the sketch with my hands and i like tears just poured out of my eyes because i I had never seen something that I came up with, right? Like I invented this girl was never in the original. Um, and something that I had invented, like in my words was drawn by a professional artist. And I cried so hard. Oh. Uh, it was, it was quite a moment actually. I, I, and then he said, Oh, you can have that. And I said, <laughs> I said, really? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, <laughs> So I I, I um, am very familiar with that sketch. <laughs> he he was in like uh, like Eastern European, like almost like like Shabbat garb or something. I, I was thinking hmm. I wanted to try to make it look very. I, I can um, send it to you if you want. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I may put it in a blog post, but no, I was trying to make him like look very like Ashkenazic. And Neil actually later was like, "This isn't working. Like, just make him a 1930s magician. Like, you're sort of missing. You know, you're burying the lead here." I'm like, "Oh yeah, it's a good point." Like, it's, um, sort of what Susan was saying about Neil. That Neil really makes sort of pronouncements, um, which I, is uh, it's a lot better than it sounds because he's he's actually always right. I don't he's mean that sarcastically. Right. He's always he's right. He's always right. Yeah. So he'll just kind of look at something and be like purple i'm like yeah you're right yes sir purple sir absolutely sir <laughs> but um yeah no it was it was very interesting working with them i mean um i i, I think I, I probably told the story to susan before but you know when when marietta said oh by the way this is this is for neil porter i was like oh that, that that's fine yay hooray and you know kind of he got right into my head and i i eventually kind of sorted all that out but it, it was intimidating but also just a huge huge learning experience for me um the uh, if you actually compare this to the book i did just just prior to that I, you could actually see the the uh, what i would call the neil porter effect um and um, i was told that i said this is this is you know this is going to be um i think somebody said this might be a little bit like going to school and mm. um very thankful for that opportunity wow. because it definitely was kind of able to he was, he was able to pull things out I mean, um, the art director he works with, uh, incredibly talented art director, Jennifer Brown. She's so um, talented. Who I, yeah, who I think is also a, a licensed therapist. Um, but uh, <laughs> Well, the, Neil uh, certainly is. Yes, I think they both are. Um, <laughs> but um, they just, just really kind of uh, really poured over the art and um, really very passionate about art and know so much about what makes uh, illustrations work, um, you know if it was an appropriate drawing, if it wasn't an appropriate drawing, um, it's just the slightest changes that you might think, what was even the, what was even the point of doing that? And you realize it actually alters the character of a composition in such a way that, that somehow, you know, makes it exactly what it was supposed to be instead of just, you know, almost there. Uh, there's a lot of conversations like that. I'm always over and over again going, ah, I don't know how they figured that out. Um, but it was really uh, remarkable to work with them.
support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from teachingbooks.net. Teaching Books strives to personalize each reader's connections to children's and young adult books. Discover thousands of resources that bring books and reading to life. Sign up for free today at teachingbooks.net. Sean, Neil Porter was the first editor that I ever knew by name. Um, I can can track that in my, in like my, I don't know, my, my arc through this podcast um, of, of reading so many books and starting to really be drawn to these certain books. And that's how I started to be aware of, of imprints versus just publishers, but actual imprints. And then starting to get aware of some editors and, and Neil, I, I feel like of, of almost any other editor working, I know what a Neil Porter book is. And so to me, I, I understand what you mean to a degree by, um, by the influence he had in working with him on this book and not working with him on other projects. I think that's, that's really neat to see the hand of, of, a, of an editor in work from, from my end, from the, from the, the perspective of, of a reader. So uh, I'm glad to know that his, his hand is present uh, throughout this book as well. I also wanted to ask you, though, Sean, about someone mm-hmm. else whose who's influence is present, I think, and that's of artist Mark Chagall. Do you want to talk a little bit about, about how, how his influence uh, influenced you in, in making this art? I'd never heard of him. I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, let me See, tell I'm you not, about this. You should Google him. I'm not him. the only one who makes jokes, French. huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, no. Um, yeah, so um, people may not realize this, but uh, Chagall actually illustrated a, uh, um, an edition of the, uh, the Passover guest uh, Yiddish edition. Um, and the, uh, the illustrations are strange, very... Um, very abstract in a lot of ways, uh, black and white. I think they're probably etchings. Um, I, I should probably get that straight so that the next person that asked me, I could give them a, a very sort of art historical answer. Um, I, Saul, but, I uh, have it if you would like oh, you? to. Of course hey, I have it. <laughs> somebody get a librarian on the somebody phone. Somebody get a librarian. Nice. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So um, the uh, – <laughs> So at any rate, um, I, I love Chagall. I mean, I, I think I alluded to this in the acknowledgments, but I, I had Eye of the Village, which is this wonderful painting he did. Um, it's in uh, MoMA in uh, Manhattan. Um, I had that like on my wall when I was in um, middle school and high school. I think it was like the first like cell phone background like I ever had for some reason. I just was identified with it. Um, and uh, I, uh, you know, realizing that, that Chagall had done this already, it, it seemed impossible not to. Um, try to pay um, homage to him um, in the process. Um, probably wound up doing it a little bit more than I expected I would. Um, you know, a couple of compositions, particularly the, the magician. It references a, uh, I think it's like an organ grinder uh, painting that he did. Um, just a sort of you know person spread out over a uh, this big sort of horizontal space, with a lot of negative space in it, the yellow background. There's a lot of differences between the two compositions, but that was definitely something that was a huge influence on, on how I handled that spread. And then um, after that, I just kind of started using a lot of his colors. Uh, I stuck to my cross-hatching, so I draw. Um, but uh, I started, I mean, frankly, sampling palettes, with like, you know, high-resolution high uh, digital stuff and trying to figure out what kind of colors he was working with. A lot of his blues, greens, reds. Uh, how he put, you know, a light color on top of a darker color, which is actually a huge part of why his paintings are so luminous. Um, and sometimes, uh, I mean, crazy things like putting a really, um, uh, like, bright yellow over a blue and just letting a little bit of the blue sort of come through. So it's it's kind of like, it's just, it, it's hard to describe it. It just makes both those colors, like, pop so much. And that's not really anything I would have done too much with beforehand. Um, I do love painting. I, I don't oil paint anymore i don't really have the space for it um but uh i did study painting in school so it was really fun to to get back into that space and kind of start thinking through those things and then you know by studying him try to apply some of his uh um, his ideas uh to to my work you do so much work playing with lighting 
in this book, especially because we're we're watching the the passage of the day, we're watching the sun setting right. uh, throughout this, and in particular, the uh, a scene that I, I'd like to read, Susan, if it's okay, do you mind if I read the, the yeah. opening passage of the book? I um, would be honored. Oh, uh, so interesting to hear someone else. Uh, I love it. You know, we oh, we, love, no. we librarians love to read aloud to people. Um, uh, but but ooh, I want to take us open the book and follow along with you. <laughs> I want to take us to first meeting the magician and and uh, being outside of the Lincoln Memorial. It reads the year 1933 was different. Her father, like so many others, had lost his job. Her family didn't have enough to eat, even on ordinary days. It would be impossible to buy all the food needed for their Passover Seder. They didn't even have enough wine to fill the ceremonial cup for the prophet Elijah, who was said to visit every Passover Seder. So there was no need to rush home to prepare the holiday feast. Muriel walked slowly from the park and stopped to look up at Lincoln on his magnificent marble chair. A strange figure dressed in rags juggling on the steps of the monument caught her eye. He looked as threadbare as the men on the street, waiting in line for soup. As she watched, his brown hair turned red. The eggs he juggled became blazing candles. His shabby clothes turned into those of the finest silk. Muriel was amazed. She took her only penny and put it in the hat at the man's feet. He smiled at her. The sun is setting. Passover's about to start. You don't want to miss your Seder. My family isn't having one this year, Muriel answered. Are you sure? Asked the man. Perhaps you'd better hurry home. I'll stop there. Um, I love oh, I how love I love how beautifully crafted your your words are there, Susan. Because because we can tell that he's a magician just by the way that you've played with language. There, are you sure? Perhaps you'd better hurry home. Playing with expectation, um, with sleight of hand, with with those words, I think is so wonderful. But I also wanted to share that because those pages are really where 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 I really leaned in where I really was paying attention not only because of that the tr <laughs> the not the trickery but but that but what the magician is doing there and also what you're doing Sean through the art that you've got you talked about laying the yellow on top of the blues and I think about the way the sun is bouncing off of the hats uh, of the people walking by the Lincoln Memorial as as that sun is just this gorgeous yellow behind the blue memorial. Um, and then as we get inside the memorial and, and everything just looks copper, like a penny, um, it, it's just, it, all of it just works so beautifully. It, it's stunning. <laughs> the both of you uh, have really done magic to bring us into this story and I don't mean that lightly I, I think that the way you draw us into the story puts so much weight into this girl's trip home and the hope that she'll carry with her as she hurries back to her parents oh that's that's so touching. Yeah, I, I I made so much of that up. <laughs> it's not in the original story quite that way. Yeah. So that that really means a lot. I mean, a little part of that is, but um, not as much as uh, not a lot of what you described. And so, it's so nice to know that that things you take a chance on worked. I think they worked I was, exquisitely. Um... Yeah, Sean, go ahead. Yeah, no, I actually remember um, remember calling Susan at some point, which you by the way, you're really not supposed to do that. Yeah, we've, we've <laughs> really you, broken yeah. that rule into pieces. Yeah, uh, so I, I definitely didn't call Susan, but totally um, didn't. But calling. yeah, yeah, just, just don't but, uh, don't tell Neil. Yeah, yeah, he but, knows uh, by I, now. <laughs> the cat is out of the bag. I don't know if you remember this. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this, but I, I actually called you. I was like. You ever notice how a lot of picture books have like these like transition sequences like right around spread like page twelve? We well, had like a conversation. Remember this conversation? Yeah, we had like a conversation about that because I was laying <laughs> out something else. And no, I I just but I was actually laying out something else, and then I, I kind of realized I had to sort of double down on some things that I was doing with the Passover guests as a result of that. But um, just just that the the movement from the um, uh, from outside the Lincoln Memorial to to the 
to the juggling than to their sort of inside the Lincoln Memorial. And we actually had a debate about um, whether or not uh, they had um, wound up too far afield of where they'd started. And um, I think where we, we landed was sort of it was like, hey, this is this is going to sort of um, increase the sense of movement that they're not just in the same place. And you sort of he was like doing this whole routine. But it, it really did seem necessary just because of this trying to use those those uh those six pages to, to really kind of create a uh, a sense of like sort of moving into another space yeah um but um which is funny because it actually meant that you had to move into the lincoln memorial then of course she kind of she goes in the penny goes in the hat the memorial looks a little bit like a penny because of the use of orange and green i guess and then you also see lincoln's you know face kind of in profile um and then so she when she like leaves the memorial the colors are quite different um, which he's encountering on the street, but it, it, you needed some kind of sort of transition sequence. Um, and, um, again, it's something I, I just sort of learned by doing this book. <laughs> so, um, there you have it. I'm sure I will try to use that trick as much as possible until something tells me, Sean. <laughs> well, and, yeah. and Matthew, what's very interesting about this book, and again, super unusual, is that I had an opportunity many months apart to stand on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial with both Neil and with Sean, where we said, does she go there? Does she go on that step? Does she go higher? Does she go lower? Does she go left? Does she go to the right? Oh. Um, and I was able to walk around Washington with both of them and see some of these sites. And um, so, for example, Sean and I stopped in front of the archives, and that's one of the way the archives ended up in the in the book. And uh, Sean and I went inside the Sixth and I synagogue, which appears in the book. And so we were able to kind of incorporate that and um, and to look at it together, which is uh, definitely uh, not usual for illustrators and authors but was really terrific to be able to have that opportunity it was very, very rooted in that place so yeah yeah so with with both of them with both neil and sean we took that whole walk that she takes from the lincoln memorial to um to the area that that was the jewish area at that time in the 30s the that walk the walk we do in the book the way that the walk we did in the book we we well i uh, took the walk with yeah. both of them yeah well, i was gonna say that, that that walk that we do by reading the book the yeah we talked about sean you were just mentioning that word trajectory and i think about how so much of that beginning scene that section i read is sort of you know pulling the pebble back in the slingshot to fire her off to give her reason give muriel reason to go home but you've also you also have these, these. I, don't, I mean this as a compliment, but you have all these wonderful like flexes of your of your skill as an artist because you the way you draw buildings is just awesome. Uh, I love awesome, right? I love it's amazing. That. I love that we are. Well, quite frankly, I love that looking at the Washington Monument in the in the opening um, the title page that you've got this wonderful reflection in the title basin with all of these. Um, symbols um, related to the Seder in the water, but then we're at maybe a third of the book in where we're, we're, we're standing just in front of Lincoln with um, Muriel dropping the, the penny into the magician's hat. And here's the, the um, Washington monument pointing this direction, which, which is again, this, this forward direction that we're going to go. You mentioned the, the national archives. And I, I love that. We had said this on a on a um a previous conversation, but I love that that it's under construction, and it yeah. leads me to recognize all of the research, not just the you walking around, uh, you both walking around D.C. and 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 walking this walk, but also what it took to to research what D.C. would have been like in 1933 when the the cherry blossoms were in bloom and when when the nation was struck in this depression and and uh the construction going on in this the uh, this um neighborhood uh appearing as it were it, it just it really speaks to the scrutiny that that the illustrations need to be able to undergo as a reader is is studying and scrutinizing the art in this book to to understand 
the the historical context in which the story takes place. How much my uh, I mean I know you're sorry, working with ahead, a librarian. No, go ahead. Though. Yeah, <laughs> I was saying, but how much right. how much of the research? I would love to hear about that research dance. Yeah, um, Susan did most of it, um, and uh, no, it's very true. I mean, I actually I love doing research. Um, if you asked me what what my favorite part of uh, of doing just about any book is, I probably would tell you it's the research, research and maybe sketching. Um, but, uh, I, uh, I have a research background really. Um, and, um, for me, part of, you know, part of the fun of art is being able to kind of apply that stuff, you know, learn about new topics, uh, get deeper into things I, I kind of already know about or have interest in. So, um, I sometimes, I, I think I'm actually, uh, probably asked to do research heavy books because of that. And I'm always, you know, if I, whenever I see a project, if I see, hey, this is going to require a lot of research, people say that to me. I'm like, hooray. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, but that being said, it, it was amazing because uh, Susan, I mean, first of all, librarian, professional information scientist, uh, it can't hurt. Um, and um, she just knew so much about this that um, I think it got to a point where I just kind of realized I, I could spend, you know, 15 minutes uh, goofing around on Google or I could just text her and be like, hey, uh, you have any idea what the, what, what the police were wearing? on like Pennsylvania Avenue, like maybe it was like the white house police or something. It's like, like, you know, five pictures of, of people in, uh, in uniforms. Like, okay, great. Although I think, was I the one that found out that the white house had the awnings? Because that yeah. was like a funny, that like was a highly back and specific forth. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a back and forth. So Sean said, Hey, did you know that the white house had these goofy awnings in the thirties? <laughs> and then, um, oh, see. Yeah. And and then I found a picture, uh, one of my favorite pictures, actually, of all the research, uh, which was Eleanor Roosevelt standing with her new car in front of the White House and the awnings. And um, and so that was like a clearer picture than the one that Sean had. So that's the picture he was able to use for the for the goofy awnings. Um, but, you know, as I've started to show the book to a couple people, everyone keeps saying, did the White House really have awnings? Yeah, um, which maybe As you imagine kids would. Yeah, you just imagine yeah. like you can hear kids doing it too. Yeah, well, maybe they wouldn't like in other areas, but you know, I live in the DC area, yeah. and so <laughs> everybody's pretty tuned into what the White House looks like. Um, everyone well, also looks, keeps looks commenting on the, on the fence, and they're like, "Really? That's what the fence looked like?" <laughs> I agree that it looks bizarre. It looks interrupted. The structure looks yeah. interrupted yeah. by the awning. It almost That's like a, a exactly five-year-old wearing a tutu. Like. Yeah, yeah, they're they're even goofier in the picture than they are. Sean kind of classed them up here in the illustration. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, but but I went as I mentioned earlier. I went a uh, crazy with the research. So um, you know, not only did I like look up every building that ever existed in D.C. in the 1930s, and I had spreadsheets about what was destroyed or what was being built. That's how we got to the archives or what was not in existence. Um, but I also um, just, I w was able to use um, the help of the Lillian Albert Small Capital Jewish Museum, which was amazing. There's an incredible archivist, Wendy Terman, and she helped me with oral histories of Jews from the 1930s and with uh, photographs of the time. And we're able to pinpoint where the Jewish stores were and where the homes were. And based on, based on all those um, sources, those original sources, and that was where I determined where Muriel's home was and what route she took. Um, and I was deeply grateful to her. And so she kind of brought Jewish DC alive for me. That's awesome. And it is. And the, and the nerdiest thing I did, and I, I even showed Sean and his wife this because it was so ridiculously crazy, is that I made a spreadsheet of every first night of Passover in the 1930s and every um, first... Uh, every peak bloom of the cherry blossoms. The cherry blossoms, yeah. And I put them together, and that's how I came up with the very specific date that you see in the beginning of the book, because that was a first night of Passover that coincided with the peak bloom. It's wild, even that, to think that. I mean, it makes sense, but, but here, so Susan, I am not Jewish. 
I have celebrated Passover. It's okay. I already know. No, uh, well, thank. There you go. What? Where I want to say this though is that because of your research, because of the setting of this book, because of because of the way this book resonated in me, and I'm positive other readers uh, will have this same experience also that are not Jewish. I will connect the cherry blossoms blossoming with that timing of Passover and of there's just a you have helped to draw a connection with with you know a cadence or a rhythm of the year that I I'm, I'm going to link forever now because of that and I think about just I don't know just what that means that you've you've done that research and that you've that your hand has crafted something like that that can resonate. Well, I, I guess really what I what I think about is how how you wrote a book for for Jewish kids to see themselves in, to see uh, history in, to see uh, place and time and tradition in. But also, it's one that welcomes in people that are unfamiliar with the Passover tradition, that are unfamiliar with. Uh, you know, opening a door for Elijah and leaving a cup of wine and all of, all of these things. It really, there, there's so much wonder here. There's so much that, that caused me to really read with all of my senses and to also feel like I too was being welcomed to the table and that this wasn't some sort of a book that required insider knowledge to understand what was going on, but rather that I didn't need to feel ashamed in my ignorance of Passover that you were inviting me to the table as well to learn and to understand and to to have questions and to know that it was a safe space for me to explore this and to to see my Jewish family members, extended family members and, and friends and students and I don't know. I, I I think that you know we we you and I have talked for a number a number of years now. A number and, of years. <laughs> and I shouldn't feel ashamed to be able to ask no. you things. But you should that, never feel ashamed. But that this book, I think about all the people that have never met you, and how the work that you both have done in this book really welcomes so many people in uh, in such a delightful way. It's really it's really a wonderful gift. It is. Well, that is the most beautiful thing. You always have such an incredible <laughs> way of saying things. It always makes me cry. Well, thank you um, for allowing me the space to stumble through my words, trying <laughs> trying to, to say it in the best way I can. But um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I'll say for me, growing up in D.C., Passover, um, it's not necessarily... So in D.C., obviously, as you know, since you live nearby... Um, the cherry blossoms are enormous in DC oh, yeah. and I wanted to celebrate that. Um, and they're not always on Passover, but I did want to, but flowers and rebirths are always a part of Passover. And so I did want to acknowledge that, that, you know, of this really joy of spring. And I'm touched that you would associate cherry blossoms with Passover. I, I am clearly obsessed with the cherry blossoms. It's something that I absolutely wanted in the book. And I'm so happy that they're, the, I mean, I'm so happy. Um, I did the sneaky writer thing of writing it into text to make sure that the cherry blossoms made it into the book. <laughs> artist note, yes. Yes. The, no, no artist note. Not even note. in the actual text itself. Yeah, in you're the right. The blossoms itself. are sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, and I really hope that you never feel like a stranger at the table, that you always feel welcome. Um, Passover is completely about that, about welcoming everyone in. It's why I changed the ending to be that everyone is welcome. And I hope you always feel welcome. I, um, I, I, and I, I no, go ahead. Oh, Matthew. Yeah, I would, I just had even more things that I noticed that I, I just, oh, yes. yeah. I just want to point out just the delight of noticing them, which is the, yeah. you know, as, as the, uh, as Muriel runs to, um, she runs to get the rabbi and all of these people in the town start to, to follow her, that the rabbi believes her. If you can pour the wine and break the matzah, 
then what you have described is a true miracle, said the rabbi. Can you show me your Seder to have to have an adult figure believing a child and, and really an entire town following a child to her home um, to have this band lead the way, to have this blue cat throughout the book following <laughs> her. But but at the table, and this is, again, another one of these like beautiful flexes that, that Sean does of like, let me show you this amazing spread first that Elijah has done with just the, the parents and Muriel turn their back and turn back around and this amazing spread is here. But when they get back into the house, now the whole room isn't glowing gold as Sean had first done it with with Elijah. Um, you know, or we don't know yet that, that the magician is Elijah, but with, with, with that sort of wonderful glowing spread. But here now everything is hushed. The whole background is, is black. And there's just the glow of the candlelight on the faces of the people around the table looking on in wonder, except for the... <laughs> The rabbi who was like hand to chin, like observing, noting things going on as the wine pours itself. But on the turn of that page, Sean, the way you have, the way you have everyone orchestrated around that table of Muriel looking, her gaze on the cup that's, that's, that's been emptied of the musicians around the table behind the rabbi and the rabbi looking toward Muriel in the cup and, and the kids underneath popping out from underneath the tablecloth um, at the, the man with the matzah in his pocket, all of these, all of these things that you give us for our eyes to just circle, to really just like follow a path around the table from person to person to person and the story that that tells alongside the story that Susan's words are telling. I feel like there's just such, I want to keep going back to that word, but such a beautiful dance going on between your art, Sean, and Susan's words that that is, I think, what good picture books do, which is that, you know, kids are hearing these words and their eyes are taking in the art at the same time. And those two things are being woven together to tell a story even greater than any one of those two things could do alone. Um, it's, it's really a, a wonderful thing. And I can see your careful hand at work, Sean, in this alongside uh, what I know was a lot of careful work from Susan. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I mean, I, I really appreciate that. I, I, I agree. Um, I, well, I agree, at least in terms of I, I think that if you get that right, that that's a huge part about what makes good picture books work. Um, I'm much more interested in projects where you have an opportunity. Um, basically, the opportunity is that the, the juxtaposition or the inter the interplay, you know, I don't know, we could, we could use a lot of $20 words on this, but relationship between the text and the... Um, and the images um, together uh, somehow suggest something beyond what either of those two things are doing by themselves. So basically what you said, I just said longer. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, 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 but seriously, I, I think that's, I think that's really interesting. I, I mean, to me, I, I dare say, I think that's the, that's kind of a huge chunk of what makes the medium unique. Yeah. Um, I, I also, I also think that, um, but that's not like it's not consistently utilized. That opportunity isn't consistently utilized. It's just sort of striking to me. Um, I don't think it means that that's necessarily creating bad picture books, but it's just like there's so much fun there, um, especially as an artist to play with it. Um, so I I really enjoy you know trying that out as much as possible. I'm glad you did um, because it really. Susan, for all those kids that I, I, I'm reading this with the experience of, of knowing DC intimately, I know exactly yeah. what that looks like, what, what it looks like to be at the foot of the Lincoln Memorial. But like Sean, for you to paint the Lincoln Memorial in changing hues as the sun is setting and to be able to be at, at the base of the memorial and look up at all of those stairs and the, the light changing color behind it and the the detail of all uh, just, just all of the details that, that have gone into 
the design of that and other memorials and, and to be able to, to sit with that and to, I don't know, just be, to be transported for lack of a better word. There's just, there's a lot of care and respect for the reader uh, among other things going on there. I, I, I hear in your words too, of just like, well, why wouldn't you want to do that as an artist? Why wouldn't you want to paint something interesting and draw something that, that compels in that way? But I think that it's also something that needs to be said that not all artists have that inclination, at least from one project to another. And I'm glad that on this project that you did and that, that you showed us what you did because goodness, that especially that, that the, the, the accompanying spread, that spread of the Lincoln Memorial where I just, I'm obsessed with staring at all of the details. And then the turn of the page where you have the magician just contorted in the most amazing way across the spread that his one foot looks like it's almost literally propped on the page, the edge of the page. Um, And he's just contorted back in this impossible pose, juggling an impossible thing, an egg turning into a candle. There's just... I don't know what it is about this book. And I'm glad, though. I'm grateful that I can't find the words to put it into. There's just something special that I like, and I don't want to explain away. I just like having the experience wash over me every time I read it. And I'm thankful for that magic. And however, whatever restraint you both and Neil and everyone else with their th- their fingerprints on this book... um that you all exercise that restraint to make this book what it is. Uh, thank you for leaving space for me and for, I know all of these other readers to just want to revisit and talk about it and ask about it over and over and over. Well, that's yeah. quite some high praise. The, my goal is really to just have someone like the story as much as I did when I was a kid. Mm. I want to, uh, wrap up and give you a chance to speak directly to your readers. But first, I'm realizing that, um, Sean, I didn't have a chance at the top of the show to mention that I know about some of your upcoming work. Susan, I um, I know that we're actually going <laughs> to be having conversations on the show a lot in the future because of uh, your work at large. And I know that you'll have other work that we'll want to talk about but coming up really soon. Yeah, Sean, Sean, ha- Sean has a really exciting book coming up. Yeah, coming up really soon, you have This Very Tree that I've had a chance to read a digital arc of because we're in this pandemic time where now digital arcs are being <laughs> sent out really early, which is wonderful. Could you share a little bit about This Very Tree to give us a taste of what it is and maybe just mention the release date so we, you know, people listening to this at whatever time they're listening can can look ahead to it? Sure. And um, actually, I wanted to share an observation about the cherry blossoms, if that's okay. Please do. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so so this very tree, um, the, sub, the subtitle is um, a story of uh, like 9-11. Oh, man, I should really know this before I open my mouth, shouldn't I? Uh, <laughs> I have it written down anywhere. Why, where, where did it go? Uh, this, it's called This Very Tree. We'll just go with that. Oh, wait, no, here it is. I found it. I have I have all the proofs literally sitting on the desk next to me and like overlooking them. I love it. Like a dinosaur on the Upper West Side. Um, okay. Uh, doom, doom. Yes. So try that again. Yes, this uh, this very tree. Um, it's a story of 9-11 resilience and regrowth. Um, it, actually, this is my first uh, self-authored uh, picture book, mm. um, which... I was actually kind of I, I, I was sort of surprised when I realized it because I, I worked on a number of projects, but they none of them sort of technically qualified as fiction books. I was really excited about this. Um, and um, it's about uh, a calorie pear tree or Bradford pear tree that was in uh, lower Manhattan, actually really right in the middle of ground zero on 9-11. And uh, the towers uh, came down uh, on top of it. And it, it happened to survive. They, they, they unearthed it in October and uh, realized it was still alive. And they, they, sent, they sent it to uh, the Bronx to recuperate. And it eventually was replanted uh, back in Ground Zero in the memorial. Uh, that, that's just a historical background. Um, the, the book's really about uh, 9-11 and kind of the aftermath from the, uh, from, from the viewpoint of the tree. Um, and uh, the intent was... Um, we sort of to tell the story as though the tree 
we're um, processing trauma the, w- the way that we know that humans process trauma. Uh, so um, it's it's really, I mean, I, yeah, I guess I don't know how else to put it. It's really just about this tree's experience and how the experience changes the tree and, um, you know, the, the tr- how the tree is uh, different. And uh, I, I, I'm fumbling all over this. We're going to have to edit this. <laughs> no, I think it's... I need to book that whole thing, yeah. But... <laughs> I think that it's it's a beautiful and important book, and I yeah, think that, that. Um, I think that the survivor tree it goes without saying, but but it is this symbol of resilience and of strength and of beauty and of rebirth and um, and similar to what you're doing, bringing people into into DC and the Passover guest. You bring us into a space that your readers won't have known about or won't have visited prior to the events. I think for anyone to tell the story of 9-11 to children who don't have, you know, a working memory of it is a really interesting challenge. And I think you do it really well. I think the tree works is a really good proxy for what not only what 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 everyone was experiencing from that trauma but also our our connection to everyone else and 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 to how lots of other things were affected by that trauma not just people you could see the, the the scars in other places if you will yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Um, I mean, I think one of the things that really drew me to the project was just that I, I had realized I didn't really have a great way of explaining any of this to my kids. Mm. Um, I don't really think I'm alone in that. Um, I mean, I've seen people post, hey, does anybody have like a, you know, foolproof way of explaining September the 11th to their children? And, and the answer is no, this isn't it either. Um, but it, it at least is, uh, it was an opportunity to, to sort of find a way to do it. Um, and the tree, like you said, I mean, the tree is sort of, um, uh, you know, has limbs as a body, the, the body can, you know, the tree's body can be hurt. It could, it could heal. Um, the book was actually brought to me, um, by my agent and also by, uh, an editor at, uh, Hold for Young Readers, a Christian Trimmer, who's, a um, a real gem, uh, of a guy, uh, just Fair, love working yeah. with him. <laughs> a past yeah. guest on the podcast as well. Yeah. Yeah, I know Christian is awesome, yeah, and um, you know it was a, it was a really great it was really a collaboration, and um, you know they, they kind of said, hey, do you think you could do something with this? Um, and it took me a minute to sort of realize what I was what what you know that that they had just given me this amazing gift because um, I was not really super familiar with the story beforehand uh, of the tree. Um, unfortunately, overly familiar with nine eleven as somebody who was living in uh, New York at the time. But, um, yeah, so, uh, that, that's kind of, that's kind of what it's about. And, um, I'm, I'm still, uh, you know, I don't know how much of this you'll use, but I, I'm still trying to figure out how to talk about it. I think um, that's okay. just because, yeah, it, it's, it's a, it's going to be an interesting book to promote, uh, because Sean, when does it, it come out? Yeah. Uh, May 4th it comes out on May 4th, May 4th. uh, okay. 2021. Yeah. Well, okay. congratulations um, on that, on your upcoming, nice. you know, debut as an author illustrator too that's that's an i think it's a great book to have as your as your as your debut uh, voicing a, a picture book that's great yeah appreciate that oh. susan um, i'm sorry did i cut you off no you didn't okay yeah. <laughs> we all just yeah it's it's huh, yeah wonderful you um mentioned cherry blossoms before talking about this book did you want to share about that sean before we we wrap? yeah well i mean it, i actually think one of the reasons um I, I wound up doing this book was because of the cherry blossoms because mm-hmm. when we were sort of putting sample art together for it one of the things was the cherry blossom um spreads and uh i from uh, from passover guest and um I, I had been spending some time uh, paying attention to, to um, flowering trees as a result of the Passover guest. <laughs> um, <laughs> but really, subtly really, done. Really, well, really, good job. <laughs> no, no, I, I really, really, really be 
became like fixated on it, like between finishing the Passover guest and starting this very tree, because calorie pear tree is a uh, is a flowering tree. It's actually one of the first um, trees to bloom, um, like in the northern hemisphere, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and um, the weird thing about this is that I actually developed more of an appreciation for what was going on with the cherry blossoms, the Passover guest, as a result of doing this very tree. But uh, I guess it was like last March. Yeah, it would have been last March, right, right when the lockdown was starting in earnest uh, for for the uh, coronavirus. You know, I'm walking around Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, where I live with my family, and um, the dogwoods. Well, first, the calorie pears. We actually have some in the neighborhood, which is just uh, dumb luck for me because I went out and like sketched them and everything. But um, first, the pear trees, and then the dogwoods started blooming. And, you know, everyone was just so, like, rightfully miserable and concerned and worried. And spring came anyway. (laughs) Um, I I was like, you know, standing outside, like staring at, you know, it it just Charlottesville in spring is just gorgeous. Um, I was sort of more attuned to it, both because of the tree books that I was working on. And then also um, because there was kind of nothing else to do or think about. It was, a you know, just kind of you could look out your window and that was that was it. And um, I, it was kind of it seemed almost insulting in a way that these that these trees were still blooming, hmm. uh, given everything that was going on. Um, but then, you know, we kind of realized like, gee, was like they've been they've always been blooming. This is just what these trees do. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they bloom through worse than 2020 and they even bloomed through worse in the 1930s, which is pretty bad. Um and uh, th- th- that was very, I guess I'd use the word humbling. It was just sort of the thing that kind of makes you stop and realize that, you know, uh, maybe things don't 100% work the way I thought they did a minute ago. I'm going to need to kind of reconsider. <laughs> um, but that, you know, and then when when I kind of look back on it, I realized that was a huge part of like why I think the cherry blossoms, um, you know, work so well um, in the book, uh, in the Passover guest, especially in the Hooverville. I mean, because, you know, the depression was happening and these cherry blossoms were just blooming, like as all this other stuff was going on, as people were putting up shanty towns in the mall or Hoovervilles in the mall, I should say. Um, this is all the same thing. The spring would just come. And I mean, that, that's that's a, a beautiful thing uh, in the end. Um, but, yeah, that, that's definitely something that I, I only kind of realized somehow by doing uh, after having almost finished two books on this, uh, that sort of hit that subject. So there you go. Ah, that's a that's a great note to end on that notion of as dark as things get there's there's always light there's always this beauty springing up why don't i close us susan i'm going to turn to you first oh wait can i just say please oh the the research (laughs) the research part of me just wants to say that the hooverville wasn't on the mall it was in different part of dc and we moved it but um but i like where it is now it looks really cool in the book (laughs) hear that historical accuracy <laughs> noted um got it i can't help it can't help it I, I'm, I'm sorry i'm sorry about that susan <laughs> that, that, I, I okay. <laughs> but the trees are lovely the trees are lovely they're perfect they look lovely where they are they, they said you could do whatever you want so long as you apologize for it in, in like the author or illustrators know like we could have there made like go. fdr come in as like a robot and said now we know fdr wasn't really a robot well but you anyway. could probably just tell your readers that the the way that the Hooverville got moved there was through the hole in the market. Bringing it all back. A lot of background. <laughs> all right, Susan, I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message I can bring to them from you? I have to remember what I said the last time. Um, <laughs> uh, it was good, too. What did I say? Um, let's see. Um well, first off, I'm always really jealous of that because seeing a library full of children is one of my very favorite things to do. And I haven't been able to do it as much as I usually do because of the pandemic. So, um, so lucky you. And second, I would say to those children that I hope that you read whatever you like and things that challenge you and things that excite you and things that go outside what you normally read and reading is all about exploring. And I hope that you explore everything you can. 
Thank you. And Sean, I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? I would say all the same things that Susan said, in addition to please wash your hands. Um, my kids uh, got in a little bit late today, and I told them the same thing. I told them every time they walk into the house, wash your hands. Everyone, just please keep washing your hands. And that's our show for today. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by me, Matthew Winner, in my library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 600 episodes at matthewcwinner.com. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. If you want to help support the show, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash matthewcwinner, and your support and contributions will directly support and impact my work here. And as always, writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with your friends through Facebook or Twitter or word of mouth or really any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that is a very good thing indeed. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.